Content on this episode may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Trigger warning. This episode contains details of domestic abuse, substance abuse and sexual abuse. Please take care. I carried around a flask of scotch with me everywhere I went. If I went to the club, I had a flask to top up the drinks that I bought in the bar. And that would that became my life for a long time where I was literally just drinking myself away because I could not face the silence. I couldn't face having to listen to my own thoughts. Hello, I'm Anne Dibbon and this is Unexpected Turns, where along with my co-hosts Beverly and Julie, we get to talk to some pretty amazing people, none more so than the truly inspiring Letitia Francis. Feeling abandoned and rejected as a child, Letitia sought comfort in a series of toxic relationships and alcohol, only narrowly avoiding being sent to jail and murdered. But with the help of just one person, Letitia managed to completely turn her life around, achieving success and happiness. This is her story. Yes! Hello, ladies! Hello, Letitia! Hi! <laughs> Hi, Letitia. I'm Bev. Lovely to meet you as well. Looking forward to talking to nice you. Nice to meet you. I'm thrilled to finally meet you. I've been absolutely fascinated by your story and I can't well, I can't wait to hear more, really, Letitia. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I love the fact that you describe yourself as a self-contained hurricane. Yes, <laughs> that is me. <laughs> huge personality. Definitely. And, and that's because of your huge personality. Yes. I love it. All of us here have had some unexpected turns in our life. Things haven't quite gone to plan. And your life epitomizes that. You've had more than a few changes in your life. And so really for this podcast, I felt you were the perfect person to talk to and share that, yeah, you know, lots of things did happen, but we're in a good place now. Absolutely. And if we're not in a good place now, we certainly can be next week or the week after. Yes, absolutely. So that's that's why we wanted you on here, Letitia. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was born in Bermuda, um, and that was where I was raised. At the age of seven, my mom was getting ready to remarry, and I asked a lot of questions. Mm. I was told by a family member that my birth was the reason for my parents' divorce, which was traumatic for me it was a traumatic statement to make for a seven-year-old who can't really truly process that it had a tremendous effect on my worth on my self-esteem and one during that period I was looking for attention I felt as if both of my parents were preoccupied by their relationships so I started acting out and I heard a narrative quite often that I was too much. I was too loud. I was too opinionated. I had too much attitude. I was too smart for my own good, which actually made things worse for me because 
I had this huge personality that I actually did not choose, but I was being penalized Mm. for it, um, which had me really just wanting someone to love me for me and accept me for me. By the time I was 14, I was a 14 year old in a grown woman's body. And the attention that I was getting from man was spectacular for me. It was more than I had had for years. And I supped it up like a sponge. And during that time, I was 14. I met a man that was 28 years old, twice my age. And he, for me, was my knight in shining armor. He allowed me to be me. He accepted me for who I am, who I was, and he made me feel love. My mother found out about him very early because in Bermuda, your neighbors know more about your business than you do. So she found out that I was sneaking around with this older man and she did a background check on him and found out that every relationship that he had been in ended in restraining order. So she warned me and she was like, this is a dangerous man. You need to be careful. But I hadn't seen that from him. My relationship with my mother was very contentious because I felt unwanted. I felt abandoned. So I felt that she was just trying to ruin my life. So why would I listen to her? And Mm. so I began hiding the relationship as much as I could, sneaking around more, you know, lying more because I didn't want people to judge me. The first time he put his hands on me, I was just about 16 and he choked me um, because he believed that someone that I was going to school with um, was showing me too much attention. And I remember saying to myself, this is not what a relationship should look like. I, I had enough sense at that age to say, no, this, you're not going to treat me like that. And I packed everything that I had at his house into a black bin bag and I left. And now I'm back in the house having to deal with things. So I was still going to school while I was in the relationship with this man, I would literally leave home, go to school, spend my entire evening with him and go home about 11 or 12 o'clock at night. And that was my routine. So when I say I was with him more than anything, that's what, what I meant by that. Um, I wasn't living with him, but that was where I was spending all of my free time. So Back in this environment, feeling very lonely, feeling, you know, abandoned again because my mother had remarried. Well, both of my parents remarried and both Mm -hmm. of their spouses made it known that they did not want any parts of raising me. So I was really in between two family units without a place. My mother's husband was very vocal. And I think it was more so because I was living with him about his dislike for me. And I often felt that my mother chose him over my needs, which made me very angry. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember having a a huge fight with him one day. And I said, you know what? I should just kill myself. And he said, oh, 
that's what you're going to do? He called my sisters into the room. He called my mother into the room and announced that I'm going to kill myself and let's watch. And I took a handful of painkillers and swallowed them and ran out of the house. Shortly later, my mom came after me. She, you know, put me in the car, took me to the hospital. And on the ride to the hospital, she was saying to me, why would you do that? Why would you kill yourself? I'm so mad at you. And in my head, I'm thinking, why did you stand there and watch me do it? Like, how can you be mad at me when you stood there and watched your husband mock the fact that I was about to Mm. take my life and did absolutely nothing about it? So that suicide attempt resulted in me being in psychiatric outpatient care for several years. I was put on antidepressants. I was, um, I had, you know, sessions three times a week. And one of the sessions was a family meeting because I had briefly gone to live with my father and his wife, so I was told, said that she did not want to raise another child. So I was shipped back to my mother's, which furthered that narrative. Like nobody wants you. Like you're just a problem. So we're in, you know, a family meeting and I'm expressing that I'm angry that these two people gave birth to me and essentially abandoned me. And my father didn't like that. So he got up and walked out and I didn't speak to him again for nearly six years. Um, So that reinforced your concerns, really, your your feelings. Absolutely. Um, Shortly after that, my mother and I got into a very big fight. So around this time, I'm approaching 18. I'm still 17, approaching 18. um, And we got in a huge fight and I ended up slapping her. And that was a big thing. (laughs) You cannot put your hands on your parents and any support that I had from my mother's family disappeared because, you know, most adults view a teenager as the problem. They never really look at Mm -hmm. the root of their outburst, the root of their um, constant rebellion it's Mm. always just she's a problem and leave it at that so my my mother's family started pulling away because I didn't have a relationship with my father's family I didn't really have support there either and I remember coming home from from school one day oh I might have been working because I did have a part-time job so coming home from work and receiving a letter saying it was a registered like a certified letter so I had to go and pick it up the only uh ID form of ID I had at that age was a passport you know and I remember saying to my mama who would send me an official letter Mm. and she was like oh I don't know (laughs) I'll never forget that coyness in her voice So I go pick up this letter and the letter was from my mother's lawyer telling me that I am no longer allowed on her property. And if I return, I will be removed by the police. So I don't have a relationship with my parents. I don't have a relationship with my extended family. I am still a minor in my country. Where am I going? Mm. So I call the man 
that I had been in a relationship with because that was the only person that I knew that wasn't associated with my parents that would actually give me a chance. And of course, he was like a knight in shining armor once again. Yes, you can come live with me. But the psychological abuse was instant. It was nobody in your family loves you. The only person that you have is me. I'm the only reason why you even have food in your belly. You owe me. Mm. And that went on Mm. for years. And Mm. if you can imagine hearing that constantly, not having a relationship with my parents, you begin to believe that it begins to break you down psychologically. At the age of 19, I married him because I felt like I owed him my life. That was the least that I could do marry him and keep him happy for the rest of his life and I remember did you think you were in love with him at that time Letitia did you yes I thought I was my version of love was this relationship right yeah what he gave I I now Mm -hmm. realize that you know I was groomed Mm. um yeah and was it love no it was a necessity um for me yeah and um Yeah. So we get married and I remember shortly after getting married, I was telling him, you know, I really want to go to university. And he had told me, no, you should have did that before you married me. You're a married woman. You do as you're told. The physical abuse was consistent once we got married. Um, Before we got married, there were a hit, punch, kick here and there. But once we got married, it was worse. The sodomy began the rapes began all night torture he used to beat me um and what's interesting during that time I worked for law enforcement so I was a customs officer and a lot of people would say to me you work alongside the police why wouldn't you have gotten yourself out of this situation then you are working alongside the police from a non-civilian point of view you get to see the human side of the uniform Mm -hmm. and what I saw I didn't like I didn't like the fact that they would go to calls and then come back and tell everybody's business I didn't Mm -hmm. like the fact that they were gossiping about cases like Mm -hmm. you what we were doing is confidential and I felt like you shouldn't even be discussing it amongst your co-workers Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. for me (laughs) someone who had to present a good picture because there was so much judgment around my relationship. Mm. There was no way that I was given anyone front row seats to what was going on in my household. Right. So I hid it and I hid it for years. I would put on a big smile and go to work and go around my friends and paint this pretty picture. Like I'm living the life of Riley But that wasn't the case. And one of the things that he used to do to apologize to me for the abuse episodes was buy me Louis Vuitton purses. So if you can imagine me being in my early, early 20s, I have $20,000 worth of Louis Vuitton goods. Oh, That to me was like, hey, I'm living. You know, there are things that, okay, it is what it is, but we have to learn to accept it. There was a night that I came home and I could not find my mobile phone. And I thought I might've left it at work. I couldn't remember if I had even seen it that day. 
And my friend called my landline and was like, listen, I, I just need your advice. I'm in a, a, a relationship with this heroin addict. I don't know how to get out of it. He's so abusive. And I remember sitting there giving her advice as if, you know, I'm living nice. a perfect relationship. And yeah. I think because of the picture that I painted and the fact that I had been with him for so long at that point, you know, people thought, okay, she's got it together. That night, it, to encourage her, I picked up a book. And that book was called Until Today. In that book was a passage that talked about interpersonal relationships do not last because we are often keeping people in our lives that are only meant, they're meant to be there for a reason. And, you know, people are meant to be in your lives for a reason, a season, and a lifetime. But we try to keep people that are only there for a reason for a lifetime. And that's why we cannot make those relationships work. And I remember sitting there feeling like a sinner in church. Like, this is about me. <laughs> like, this, the reason mm -hmm. why I cannot make this relationship work is because he is not supposed to be in my life. And that was very significant for me, reading that passage that day, that evening. Mm -hmm. Because that night he came home with my mobile phone. In that mobile phone was text messages from somebody that I had met um, that was showing me attention. They weren't completely inappropriate, but they weren't innocent either. And he was angry. He was angry, angry, angry. After years of abuse, you kind of know what the abuse is going to look like you you kind of know if it's just going to be a pass and slap you kind of know if it's going to be bad and I knew that night that whatever was to come was going to be really mm. bad mm. and I remember picking up the phone and I called my mother and I was like listen come and get me right now like I'm not playing come and get me he ripped the landline out of the wall and he said mm. to me the only way that you're leaving her tonight is in a body bag. Oh, Letitia. He pulled a knife on me and I spent, I don't even know how much time literally fighting for my life. Oh. This period, I always say was like an out of body mm. experience. Like mm. you, you, you hear people say that had like trauma and they don't even realize things are happening. Like I felt like I was watching a movie and I was the star. Like I didn't feel like I was part of that fight. And I remember seeing the knife come towards me, but because of the adrenaline, you know, I didn't feel any pain. I actually didn't realize that he had stabbed me. Oh. In the commotion, we were living with someone. Our house was ruined during a hurricane. So we were living with someone. And in the commotion, that person burst into the room that we were in. And I managed to run out. Okay. When I ran out, I fell onto the couch. And he charged me and, and straddled me on the couch and proceeded to try to continue to stab me. And his friend pulled him off of me and then pushed me out of the house good wow amazing well mm. a lucky escape yes managed to escape there yes and I was sat outside of this house 
what was significant was there was no grass outside. It was raining this night. It was pouring rain. Um, and luckily, my mother listened to my plea. So I wasn't outside for very long. She pulled up into the yard. And once he realized that someone was outside for me, he started throwing my clothes outside into the mud. So I was trying to pick up my clothes and pack the car. And I think in his Mm. manic state, threw my Louis Vuittons out because I had it all packed up nicely. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to get these Louis Vuittons. Like, this is more important. Forget my clothes, forget my shoes. Forget the fact that I've been stabbed. I didn't truly realize that I had been stabbed at that point in time. I still hadn't processed any pain. There was a period where I stopped for a second and realized that I was experiencing heat running down my Mm. body. And that was actually my blood. But I had not experienced any pain in this commotion. Mm. So I'm trying to pack these levitons in my my bag, in, in, in the car. And he comes outside once he realizes that he, mm. um, threw them outside yeah. and still has the knife. My mom is like screaming, get in the car, get in the car, get in the car. And I think that was the moment when I realized how much danger I was truly in. Mm. Um, so I got in the car with whatever we can salvage in that moment. And my mom was like, you gotta go to the hospital. And I was like, nope. I'm not going to the hospital because I knew that if I went to the hospital, they will call the police immediately. And I did not want that. One of the things that I had learned as of even before I was in this relationship was that if you're in an abusive relationship and you have no one to tell, tell your doctor, tell your GP. Yeah. They will take Mm. notes and if anything happens, there is a record of what has been going on. So that was something that I had been doing for years. And my thought was, I will stop the bleeding and I will go to the doctor in the morning and he can deal with it. But if I went to the hospital, I knew that there would be a problem. Oh. So I get to my mom's house and we clean up the blood. We managed to stop the bleeding. And I'm trying to figure out what do I do next? Because I'm literally yeah. going to be at work in a couple of hours. Yeah. And I was ready to go work. Like I, I you know, mm. so I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And I'm, I'm sat in my mom's kitchen and she comes out and she says to me, what are you going to do? Because you can't stay here. So the door was closed again. And I was floored. Yeah. Shot. Slam shot. (laughs) I was floored because I'm like, this is my lowest moment of my life. Like, I've just been staying by my husband. And the one person that should be protecting me, my mother, is literally abandoning me again. She packed me up in the car. and She took me to the police station. And from the police station, I was transported to a homeless shelter where I lived for two months. Letitia. Um, so that I can get myself on my feet because I really didn't have any, mm. although I was working, I didn't have a bank account of my own. I didn't have any money. Um, so being at the homeless shelter allowed me to get on my feet. It allowed me to get a restraining order. It allowed me to start the process 
for my divorce. Good. And I naively thought that, okay, I got an apartment and everything is going to be amazing. I thought walking away from this relationship would just fix everything that was in my life. And I was so wrong. I was living with shame. I was living with guilt. I actually felt guilty about walking away from my marriage. I felt like a failure because I could not keep another marriage together if, mm. because of the narrative that I had been fed for a long time. So for me, what that resulted in was drinking. I drank. I went to work. I was working three jobs at one point in time just so that I would not be alone in the house. And when I wasn't working, I was drinking. Mm. Um, and I wasn't drinking wine or, you know, lager or, you know, some something girly. Yeah. I was drinking bottles of scotch, right? Like I carried around a flask of scotch with me everywhere I went. If I went to the club, I had a flask to top up the drinks that I bought in the bar. And that would, that became my life for a long time where I was literally just drinking myself away because I could not face the silence. I couldn't face having to listen to my own thoughts. Mm. I spent so much time running away from yourself, myself, mm. um, that I, I found myself in so many other toxic situations. Mm. I became very promiscuous. Anyone that showed me attention had a good time that night. And I found myself in so many awful situations for years. And then I was like, you know what? I need to stop. I don't actually like the taste of scotch. I don't actually like being drunk. And something happened what made you question what you were doing what made you say to yourself mm-hmm. I actually need to stop was there any particular point any particular incident that made you think actually I don't want to be doing this I went to a hotel bar with a friend one day it was 11 o'clock in the morning and the bartender opened a bottle of scotch for me mm-hmm. right three hours later he opened a second bottle of scotch for me. And I was Mm. the only one at that bar that day that was drinking scotch. I lost a significant amount of money that day um, because I was so drunk that I didn't realize it fell out of my pocket. And that to me was like, Mm. okay, I drink, but I've never been to a point where I actually realized how much I was drinking. Yeah. Dan having a bartender whose job it is to serve drunk people all day actually make a comment about, wow, I've never seen a woman drink that much was an eye opener for me. Like, why am I doing this? If I don't even like the taste of scotch, like, why am I doing this? And for me, that was a pivot. It was a pivotal point. I realized that I wanted a little bit more out of life. Um, I decided to go back to university. Um, So I moved to Atlanta. I got a full scholarship. You moved straight from Bermuda to Atlanta. I moved moved from Bermuda to Atlanta. I gave up my job as a customs officer and I moved. I just, I I made the decision in 
January and by June I was in Atlanta. Good for you. Gosh. Thank you. So you made this, made it happen. I made it happen. And I was focused on getting my education. Life was better for me. Mm. And then I met this guy. <laughs> yeah. And he was a DJ. He told me that, you know, he snorted cocaine while he was DJing so that he can stay up at night. And it wasn't something that I, I was naive you know, I hadn't really been around drugs other than seizing them mm. at the airport. I n- had never been yeah, yeah. around anybody that used anything more than weed. So I was very naive to addiction. Yeah. And you were 22 at this time, weren't you? I was 24-ish around this time. Yeah. So completely mm. naive. I was living with somebody at the time who I wasn't getting along with. So I moved in with this guy. I started paying all his bills because I had a full scholarship. Like oh. I was making more money as a student than I was as a customs officer <laughs> to put it into perspective. So mm. I had money, like I moved into his house and I paid his rent for six months up front. And he then didn't have to spend you know had he didn't have any expenses so all his money went up his nose and then he started manipulating me for whatever money that I had left yeah within a year he completely emptied my bank account um with his drug use I spent uh 2009 Christmas in complete darkness complete cold it was a snowstorm that year no lights, no food, no bed, because this man snorted all of the money that we had. And there was, you know, money hidden away for me, but I couldn't touch it because if he knew that I had money, he would manipulate me. Good guy, yeah. And I knew that. Mm. So I decided to go home one summer and I was working. And I decided for my birthday, I was going to surprise him, pop up and say hi in an apartment that I was paying for. Mm -hmm. He was still living in the apartment. And I Mm. walk in to meet his wife. Now, this is a man that I had been in a relationship with for nearly three years. I lived with him for two years of that time. I spent all of my holidays with his family so I had absolutely no idea that he was married yeah I never got an answer as to you know why they weren't living together but when I look back at it it was probably his drug abuse Mm. yeah um that caused the separation in his marriage and he moved to Atlanta because he was originally from Miami he moved to Atlanta because that's where his mother was yeah Um, so I had to put my life back together after that. Like I felt like a failure again. Here I am painting a picture of this relationship that was again, absolute crap. Who am I going to admit this to? Like, who do I admit that I was stupid enough to be in another toxic relationship for an extended period of time? Mm. So you move on, you kind of like just... Mm -hmm. hide away from that and 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 go on with your life so I moved back to Bermuda I got a job as a catastrophe modeler in a commercial insurance company and I was focused on my job 
I started reading self-help books because I realized, you know, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And I knew that I, something about me had to change that I wasn't in these situations over and over again. And when I say life was looking good, I had a good job. I had my own apartment. I was really, really focused. Good. And then I met this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Another guy. (laughs) Yeah, another guy. And it's interesting because right before I met him, I was telling a friend, like, if I get into another relationship, this is what I want my relationship to look like. This is what I need from this guy. There was a list of 45 things that I needed. (laughs) Like, he was literally... I don't want to use night and shine and normal, but he was my perfect man. And the relationship for the first year was storybook amazing. Um, I was in a place where I wasn't running away from something. I was in a really good place. Um, I was looking for someone to compliment me as, a, as opposed to complete me. And I felt like, okay, I finally got it right. But then <laughs> a family member of his died. And he relapsed on crack cocaine. Oh. Because of my previous relationship, I was able to identify very early what was going on. And I was like, listen, I'm a ride or die, but I am not riding and dying for cocaine. (laughs) It's not happening. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing this again. The last relationship almost killed me because I was, the stress that I was Mm. in I'm not doing it again so he agreed to get help and I spent a considerable a considerable amount of time looking for help for him in that process he was still using and unbeknownst to me he was stealing from his job one day he called me and said to me, listen, I need you to come pick up something for me. He was a chef by trade and he catered on the side and he often sourced his produce from his job. Mm. He got it at a cheaper rate. So him asking me to go pick up something from his job, it was something that I had done a hundred times. I didn't think anything of it. I go pick up this bag and I'm immediately surrounded by security because they had figured out that he was stealing. They had put up a camera. They could see that he was taking the stuff, but they couldn't figure out how he was getting it out of the building. And I was his accomplice without even knowing. So he was arrested. He lost his job. And I thought, okay, life goes on. Until one day (laughs) I got a call from reception at my job telling me that the police are there to see me. I was arrested on my job for handling stolen property. So I'm escorted to jail where I'm forced to call my mother and ask her to get me a lawyer. She came to the jailhouse that day, which is not something I expected. And she, in tears, on the other side of plexiglass, asked me, Why do I love everyone else more than I love myself? Mm. That was like a Mike Tyson body blow to me. That was the first first time I had been faced with the reality that (laughs) you're in this position really because of you. You know, like, yeah, you didn't steal, but your decisions... Mm 
of the reason why you were in jail today? A real turning yeah. point. Absolutely. Yeah. I was never charged with anything. I was let go after about eight hours. And when I got out of jail, I called a lady that I met in the process of trying to get my boyfriend help. She was a coach Mm. as well as a drug and alcohol counselor. And she had said to me, I see that you are so broken and I want to help you. And at that time I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't need any help. (laughs) But after that jail experience, I was like, okay, something has to change. Mm -hmm. So I worked with a coach for five months. And I started piecing my life back together. And the biggest thing that I learned in that relationship, that coaching relationship was my experiences had made me a survivor and I was stuck in survival mode. And while, you know, a lot of people glorify being a survivor, that isn't the final destination. Mm. No, it's true. How you drive yourself from that further, isn't it? Yes. And so that allowed me to start healing, allowed me to start letting go of those narratives that I had been holding on to for so long that kept me searching for external validation. It kept me looking for love in all sorts of places that weren't actually serving me. And I really started embracing the fact that I am enough Mm -hmm. just the way that I am. And those who can see it are those who need to be in my life. Exactly. I made a decision after working with this coach for several months to move to England. And I came to England and I head deep in building my career, Um, working in commercial insurance. One of the big um, goals is to work in Lloyd's of London. And I did that. I became a manager for a top 10 insurance syndicate in Lloyd's of London. I got up every day and I worked in Lloyd's of London, but a high flying job. Yes, it was. But as a black foreign woman, Mm. I was not respected and I was not valued there were days where I was called little girl and expected to just put up with it, dismiss. I was a manager. I was managing a multinational team. I had people in Singapore, people in India. I was corresponding with people in the States and not allowed to make a decision. See, I'm not afraid to speak my mind being, giving a disclaimer. Oh, she used to work in law enforcement. So she's very rough around the edges. So me showing up as myself was a problem. And it began to trigger me, even though I had done all of this healing, it triggered me here again. I'm at the pinnacle of my career and I'm still not enough. I'm too loud. I'm too opinionated. I roll my neck a little too much for these white men that I work for. Mm. And I got tired of it, but I didn't really see a way out until I had my two daughters. I had my two babies back to back in a period of three years. I was out of work for almost 20 months. And it gave me time to really reflect on what it is that I want out of life. Like I have come through a lot. You have. 
Absolutely. You know, this story is just a, Definitely. you know, a quick overglance of the things that I've been doing in life. But here I am in order to make money to support my family. Mm. I'm still being put in a box that I'm not really comfortable with. And I was reminded about how much my life changed working with a coach. And I started doing coaching certifications and I started building my business while I was on maternity leave with my second child. That was really prompted because six hours after I gave birth, I got an email from my job <laughs> on my personal account asking me for work. And I was that just furthered that narrative that like they don't even mm, respect me. I just had a four hour C-section mm. and they're hitting me up asking me about work. And so I built my business while on maternity leave. Yeah. And I went back with the the idea that you know, I'm going to do this and eventually become part-time at my full-time job and, you know, just build my business. But I got back to even more disrespect. Um, I was given recommendations that were ignored for months and then having to be, clean up the mess of being ignored and then getting in a meeting and someone cursing at me, shouting at me, and then having my boss tell me that it was me. That was the cause of the tensions on the call. So I decided to step away and take a gamble on me. Very brave. There is a reason why I'm too loud. There is a reason why I'm too opinionated. There is a reason why I've got too much attitude. Because I have a Mm. purpose. And my purpose is to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves my purpose is not to back away from the hard conversations that people struggle to have my journey while it made me a survivor being able to master my narrative and master me is what allowed me to be a thriver and what has allowed me to show up in this space as a strong, confident, I like it. self-contained yeah. hurricane, no longer afraid of disappointing people <laughs> and letting down the expectations of others. Then I truly learned to embrace the parts of me that made people uncomfortable. That's when I stepped into my mold. And as you say, you now love yourself Absolutely. Oh, that's very empowering. You've come a long, long way, Letitia. Thank you. Quite something. I have, and I'm so grateful. It's an incredible story. How instrumental then was the um, mindset coach that you met with back in Bermuda? Changed my life. It changed my life. I spent years from probably seven or eight feeling like a victim like where is me life is happening to me like I don't have any control and that coaching relationship made me realize that when you're a victim you're giving away your power you're giving away your control you're literally resigning your fact yourself to the fact that you're on autopilot and there's nothing that you can do about it Mm. then I stepped out of outside of victimhood and taken ownership for my decisions yeah life changed for me. I started viewing things differently and it all starts in your mind. It all starts with your thoughts. That is 
what drives your actions. So if you're coming from a place where you are resigned to the fact that you can't do anything to make change, you never will. No. So are you in touch with the the coach in Bermuda still? Absolutely. I talk to her monthly. All right. Yeah. So she she must feel very proud of you. She is proud of me. She's very oh, proud of me. Wow. And you're proud of yourself. Oh, yes, I you am. You are. <laughs> I, the- I wrote with a badge of on and all. You know, there there was a point in time where I ran away from my story. I, I never, if this was me 10 years ago, there was no way I would have aired my dirty laundry like no. this. Can I ask you, t- Letitia, about, you know, how this has influenced you as a mother? I show up, up your every daughters. day as the woman I hope my children become. Amazing. My job is not to earn them, but to guide yeah. them. Being a mother to me is the most beautiful thing in the world. And everything I do from the time that I open my eyes is to make sure that I'm being a good role model to them and that they never, ever second guess being yeah. loved. Are you in a good relationship now? I am married to the man that relapsed on crack cocaine. He has been clean now for nine years and we have both been able to come out here and press reset in a positive way. Brilliant. Oh, so yeah. amazing. It's good outcomes for both of you and your children. Wow. And we haven't even got on to your, your coaching <laughs> business and your future goals. I think that's another episode. Absolutely. I would love to come back. It's been wonderful, Letitia, talking to you and I've I could actually ask a thousand more questions. A real privilege to talk to you today. It has. And and really encouraging, I think, to show that somebody can come from such a difficult place, um, not just once, but more than once, and then Mm. get to where you are now. So And happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm ready to help other people. Yes, that's what it's all about. We are all here to make an impact. And when we embrace that, that's when we reach self-actualization. So I'm on my journey to self-actualization. You're on your journey. (laughs) I love that. that It's not finished. I love that. Thank you very much, Letitia. And we'll say goodbye and enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful meeting you. Have amazing (laughs) evenings too. Thank you, Letitia. Bye. Bye. She's really just scratched the surface, hasn't she, you know? She wants to do so much, doesn't she? You know, she wants to build these transitional houses, doesn't she, for, you know, families and people who've been abused. And, oh, my gosh, you know, it's so much. How encouraging it is just that somebody can literally lift themselves up over and over again and be stamped on, but again, and then finally come through to this level where she turned the tables and is actually there ready to be on the other side for other people so that they're not in the position that she was, not just in her home life, but in her working mm. life as well. I think, I think I, it's a testament to her strength of character that she managed to survive on a daily basis to, to go to school, to become educated, mm. to hold down a job. Mm. <sighs> you know, with everything that was going on in her personal life, it's a testament to her incredible strength as a, as a human being. And also I think what's important is you need other people. And she had that mindset coach who has clearly been a 
big impact on her life for years and years. She still talks to her every month. I think mm. it clearly illustrates you cannot do this by yourself. You know, I know. But on the other hand, it does only take one person of the right kind that can make the difference to somebody. Literally turn their lives around. One person. Thank you very much for listening. We know much of this episode will have made uncomfortable listening. If you need any help or support with any of the issues discussed in this episode, please look at our social notes and follow the helplines and advice given. Thank you very much.